afternoon, my friends. The doctor is in the house. Welcome back to To Your Health with Dr. G, Season 2. I am so excited to be here. Hey, Happy New Year to everyone out there. I hope that you had an amazing 2018. And realize this, 2019 is going to be your year. It's going to be big. you got to believe it. It starts out with that mindset. So I'm so happy to be back here. I had a couple weeks off to enjoy the holidays and spend time with my family, but we're back here focused, focused about our health. You know, we had a chance to recharge, and now here we are with a clean slate in 2019. We want to make sure that we have our health as a priority. So I'm excited to have everybody back here today for my awesome topic, my Women's Health Series. I'm so excited about this because this whole month is really going to be about empowerment. It's going to be about education. It's going to be about opportunity. It's going to be about equity. And when we talk about health, we want to make sure that everybody has the right tools, the right resources to just do well, to do, do even better than well, to do great. And hopefully they continue to live healthy and active lives with their families. So I'm so excited about this topic this whole month, Women's Health Series. You guys are going to meet some amazing clinicians and experts on a whole host of hot topics that I posted on my website uh, for this month. And we're really going to talk about engagement. And that's the key word that I want you guys to have today. Each topic that we're going to be doing is about engagement and making sure that we have the opportunity and take advantage of that to make our lives better and everything. So again, welcome back to the show. To your health with Dr. G. I'm Dr. Mark Gomez, board certified internal medicine physician, practicing at Edward Hospital in Naperville, Illinois. So I'm so excited today. My panel is fierce. Oh my gosh. I am just I should have a pin in my pocket. I don't have a pen, but I got my computer so I can take some notes. But uh, the words that you guys are going to hear today is just going to be inspiring because we have individuals that are truly experts at what they're doing and they're passionate about what they're doing. And they're doing this because they're, they're serving a higher purpose. So I'm so excited to welcome everybody back. Those of you that are new to the show, what I do on the show each week is I invite my esteemed panel. We talk about a topic. We get you guys some information. And hopefully at the end of the day, you take this information, but talk to your doctor. That's the most important thing I can tell you is you take this information and talk to your doctor and continue that conversation with an action plan. Those of you that have been with us since the beginning, welcome back. We are so grateful. And again, season two, I'm so excited. Uh, we're just going to keep bringing amazing health content. And even though we're talking about women's health today for the next month, I want you fellas out there that are listening, take some notes too because this information that you guys will share with your wives or your wives will share with you, but I want you guys to do it together as a community, so this is going to be great. My name is Dr. Mark Gomez again. You're listening live on Intellectual Radio. Check me out on my website, www.drmarkgomez.com. You know my social media handles, at To Your Health, Dr. G. So, before we get into today's topic, which is about fitness and nutritional foundations, I want to hit you guys with a quick disclaimer. The content of To Your Health with Dr. G is for informational and entertainment purposes only, and that the content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Further details can be found at www.toyourhealthwithdrg.com slash disclaimer. So I'm going to introduce you guys to my guests today, and I am super excited. They're both here. I've known them for a long time. Uh, they've seen a ton of my patients. Um, I would see them myself if I needed to be seen, uh, so, and I would have my family members see them, so I just, I'm just so grateful that they're here today. So you guys are going to meet my guests right now, Dr. Shushma Gunlapali and, and 
Christy Warns. You're going to meet them in a few moments, and we're going to, you're going to hear about their bios and everything, and then we're going to hear some amazing uh, words of wisdom that they have for us talking about nutritional and fitness foundations. So this topic is so important because we're really sitting here today. We've got a new year, a new perspective, and really we want to make sure that you have all the tools for success. What better time than now to have a New Year's resolution, but a New Year's resolution to make your health a priority so you can do more things with your family and your loved ones. So without further ado, I want to introduce my guests. And again, I'm super excited. We're all about today here, we're all about building trust and delivering truth. And I think that's an important thing. You know, we want you guys to get your information from reputable sources. You've got me here, you've got my steam panel. These are individuals that are in the trenches and they are ready to give you guys some amazing information. So Without further ado, I want to introduce my guest. So to immediately to my right, I've got Dr. Shushma Gumapali. She's a double board certified uh, gastroenterologist and obesity medicine expert. She's with the group Suburban Gastroenterology LTD. Check her out at www.sgihealth.com. Dr. Gumapali, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mark. I am so excited to be here. Um, and Happy New Year to everybody. Excellent. What a great way to start 2019. I'm so, I'm so excited that you're here. You know, I've known you for forever. And I was running to your like random doctor problems, of course, but, but we used to, I used to run into you in the hospital all the time when I used to go to the hospital, but now we just have a great professional relationship, and I can see you're a great friend of mine, and you've helped my patients out a ton in what you do, so I'm just excited to have you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, where did you do your medical school, where did you do your training, and really what is today's theme of nutritional and fitness foundations? What does that mean to you? Sure. Um, so I you know, uh, started off this journey with um, uh, my undergraduate degree at University of Pennsylvania, followed by um, medical school at the Chicago Medical School, which is now um, Rosalind Franklin University. And then I did my um, post-medical school uh, training mostly at Rush University. Um, and since uh, my, my residency, chief residency and fellowship, I started uh, work with uh, Dr. Berger and Jane at Suburban GI, and I've been there for 12 years. And, um, you know, when it comes to women's health, nutrition, fitness, this is sort of a day-to-day -day activity for me. This is what uh, I discuss with 90% of my patients. And so this kind of comes true to what I believe in as a passion, um, both from a professional and personal standpoint. And um, so this was a natural topic for me to be excited for and bring to the um, you know, our audience today. Excellent. I can't wait to pick your brain more on your, your insight on what we're going to be talking about. I have some amazing questions and really to help set the record straight for a lot of everybody out there that's listening. My next guest, I've known her for a long time too. Again, I'm all about having having people that I've known that have that have supported our patients, supported me, and I support them back on my show because they just are just consummate professionals, but just genuinely, genuinely good people on what they do. Again, having the same um, mindset, this like-mindedness of really helping out our patients to live active and healthier lives. So, my next guest, I have to introduce her. This is awesome. She's fierce. Uh, <laughs> it's true. Uh, and you'll tell everybody why in a few moments. So, I want to welcome to the show Christine Warrens. Christine, oh my gosh, I'm so happy to get you on this show. Uh, let me read a little bit about Christine. Of course, Christine Warrens, she's a family nurse practitioner at Endeavor Health Weight Management, Edward Elmer's Healthcare, www.eehealth.org. She's also a wellness consultant and health coach at Juice Plus, www.kwarns, K 
kwarnes.juiceplus.com. Christine, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to pick your brain today. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. So when you asked me to be a part of this, I was more than willing to come out. <laughs> Thank you. So, um, please, please give us your background and where you sure, studying sure. and your schooling and things like that. So I went to the University of Illinois at Chicago for my Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. And then from there I obtained my Master's degree as well from the same uh, school uh, with a specialty as Family Nurse pract Practitioner. I worked a couple years in internal medicine from there and then spent 11 years with Edward Medical Group in family practice and now I'm in obesity medicine and have been there for a couple of years. I've always had a passion for fitness. I'm a competitive runner and um, compete to this day in typically half marathons. My children's lives don't allow me so much to get to those marathon training days anymore. But and. Nutrition, um, you know, in school, we didn't get a whole lot of nutrition. I think as healthcare providers, that's one area that's lacking, and I think today it's a little bit better. But I really was inspired by the power of nutrition when I had my twin boys. This was 13 years ago. My one son had some um, medical needs, and I knew that I really needed to um, fuel him with whole food to allow him to have the best success he could as he grew and, de and developed. So I was introduced then 10 years ago to a company called Juice Plus, and that's kind of where that journey started. And now, um, outside of my work with Endeavor Weight Management, I also do some um, wellness and health coaching for the company, which has a mission to bring back healthy living to our communities. And we do this through uh, focus on education with fitness, whole food nutrition, and supplementation for those that are not getting the full 7 to 13 fruits and veggies that they should. And we also do some hydroponic gardening systems for those that don't have access to whole foods. So um, it all kind of blends together, and it's just something I've always been so excited for. So glad and, to be here. Thank excellent. You. Welcome to the show. We do have one more guest coming. I want to just acknowledge her. Uh, she gets here. Um, her name is Tony Havela. She is an amazing nutritionist, and I hope that you guys get, to get a chance to meet her in just a few minutes. So here we are today. You've now met some of the panel and heard their credentials. Again, trusted resources. And really, I want you guys to really kind of learn more about what we're doing today. And my goal today, and the goal of this series is, of course, to give the right information out and to make sure that as we navigate our health that we have the correct information and not necessarily things that are certainly misleading when you think about trying to navigate your own health uh, because of all the resources out there, certainly some of the misunderstandings and sometimes blatant untruths that are out there on the internet. So what I do is now that you met the panel, I always like to ask a question of the hour. And so in healthcare, when somebody comes in and sees us in a practice, we call it the chief complaint. And so what we're gonna be discussing and framing this conversation about is really uh, really kind of the question of the hour. So that question is really about what are the necessary steps for women to be successful in nutrition and fitness? And the reason why we're having this conversation today is because we have the rise of chronic disease burden, we see a rise in heart disease, we're seeing rise in diabetes, cancer as well too, but we're also talking about again, what are the core things that are needed to take action now 
to identify for that future success. And hopefully, as we, as we frame this conversation today, you have some great points that you hear from our panelists, but then I want you to have that conversation with your doctor or whoever your healthcare practitioner is, because I want you guys to be guided in the right way. And why do I think, like, why did I want to start this series out with women versus maybe the men out there? Because women are more engaged. There's no doubt about that. When I think about my roster of patients in my practice, I do have mainly more women in my practice than men, and, and a lot of women make the health decisions for their families. So it makes sense to have this conversation as we're seeing rising disease burden and, and have the conversation for, with those individuals that are going to be making a lot of health decisions for themselves and for their families. So I want to ask the first question to Dr. Pali. This is going to be awesome. And these questions are not really designed to stump anybody. It's really designed to get you guys out there that are listening to us or watching us here live on Facebook or live on intellectualradio.com. It's to really get you guys the right information. So here we go, Dr. Gulapali. All right, I want to ask you this question. We just talked about a little bit of the, the general state of health and, and sure. going on right now in women. Why don't you just give us your approach on, like, what's your take on just kind of the rise of chronic disease burden? Because I think that helps set us up for for further discussion on nutrition and fitness when so many chronic medical conditions are related to lifestyle. Absolutely. Um, I, you know, the, the global, if not national, crisis that the United States is facing today is by far um, our nutritional state and our health and in the sense of obesity. Um, the current incidence or prevalence of obesity in adults is about 40% across the states. Um, that is, when you separate that between gender, women, in women it's actually a little more prevalent than men, um, for a few other reasons we can discuss later, but um, women are roughly about 43 to 45%, and if you break that down further by race, um, certain racial subgroups have even a higher incidence of obesity in women. And if you combine overweight and obesity, it can be up to 70% of certain racial subgroups are suffering from obesity right now. And I think the important thing that you pointed out, Mark, is that this is a, um, a truly a chronic medical illness. And it's one that has previously perhaps been labeled as more of a lifestyle choice. And not until recently, maybe in the past five years, that the American Medical Association actually uh, recognized obesity as a disease. And has now uh, finally started to understand the ramifications of it, uh, which are majority of the medical illnesses that we treat, such as diabetes, uh, heart failure. In my realm, it's reflux disease, fatty liver, cirrhosis, colon cancer, colon polyps. And I think as providers, we are unfortunately getting to these patients once the end-stage disease has already occurred. So really it's a it's a disease that is um, um, time dependent. This doesn't happen overnight, and so obesity is something that gradually changes over decades. So the typical patient that I see is perhaps a woman in her 50s to 60s who every year, perhaps after her 20s or once she started to have children, every year she slowly gradually gained five to 10 pounds. And you know the ramifications of this illness may not be perceived to the patient as a problem until they get into their later decades, 60s or 70s. And by that point, it's been there a very long time, and your body has remained at this set point for a very long time, and it's much harder to change at that point. And even just in the recent past have we recognized that this is actually starting so many decades prior, uh, and that we need to get to this disease at an earlier stage for focusing on prevention. 
I think as providers, we're mostly dealing with treating it once the disease has taken its um, you know, end-stage results. So we're giving all sorts of treatments in the form of lifestyle changes at that point, medications, behavioral therapies, and so on that we offer. But we do need to target the population before we get to that point. And so I think our, uh, the burden is definitely rising, and I think that's fairly certain. But where we make the most impact, perhaps, is before they even get to us. And I think things that you're doing, which is reaching out to the, the general public and educating this population earlier on in their life so that we can hopefully prevent it um, more successfully. Excellent. You know, I totally agree with that. And, you know, we're trying to create this urgency now because we keep seeing the, the rise. And, and really when I think about uh, a lot of my, my, my female patients is, you're right, they, they, the, 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 the diagnosis may be delayed or they may have had something for a while, but a lot of people seek medical care when they are ill. And we have that kind of mentality of the sick system. And what we're willing to try to do is change that mentality and that mindset to be, you want, we want you to see the doctor when you're well. Mm -hmm. and, and that's hard sometimes because maybe there's a cost to that or there's other kind of barriers that are out there. But, but we want people to see us when, we're, when you're well um, before problems may get worse. And certainly if something is off, I always tell people this, there's no such thing as crying wolf when it comes to your health. If something's off, you get it checked out. And, like I, and I'm going to repeat again, when something's off, and maybe it doesn't go away for like a couple days, but if something's hanging out for a little bit of time, you need to go get that checked out. And so we never know what's, what's happening to the body, but if you get seen earlier, so the mindset that you're talking about, Dr. Gulabai, is, is, is exactly right. So let me ask this question to Christine. Christine, you know, you've seen it. You've been, you've been in practice for a long time now. You know, what, what are your takes on just kind of the chronic disease burden, but what can we be doing to try to move the needle to, to get people uh, in the door sooner? You know, people come and see you in your, in your clinic, uh, and there's already been medical challenges that have been going on. How do we kind of reverse this trend? Well, let me take one step back. Go I ahead. wanted to say I went into weight loss medicine because of all the years in family practice. I would see patients that were suffering with the disease of obesity, but weren't yet ready to make the decision to act on it. And it was hard. It's hard to initially have that conversation with your healthcare provider. Um, and so the years go by and the weight comes on more and more. So I think one thing is education. I think um, when you see your healthcare provider at a wellness exam, we are now doing body mass index, and this is a marker that determines obesity. Um, it may not be the best marker, but it is out there. And right now, I think healthcare providers are um, alert to it. Schools are requiring this BMI to be on kids' forms for you know enrollment and sports. So uh, I think the community is stepping up to this. But how do we get people going? Well, education is one piece. But I think there's got to be an element of I'm ready to do it and, and support. So support is essential. For a woman in her 40s, 50s, you know, she's got sometimes children, she's got a full-time job, she's got a household. So trying to eat healthy, exercise, it's difficult. And unless you have support through friends or a spouse, um, it can be really challenging. So support, structure, schedule, these are things that we need to talk about with our patients. We need to discuss how do we go about doing that. Behavior change through one simple step. And I think um, 
that needs to be brought up by practitioners to talk about behavior change. Sometimes there's not a time allowed for that, mm -hmm. and that's unfortunate. Um, but I think education, setting goals, expressing to patients in a clinic setting, hey, you know, we know if you are diagnosed with obesity at a young age, you, you, you lose years of life. So for instance, you're um, 30 years old and your BMI is over 35, and that's not treated, you're losing six years of life. So we need to get to these patients sooner well, because then we're going to have diabetes and heart disease and that's an amazing stat. Yes, I mean, and that is and that is absolutely a fact, guys. That that the years of life are taken off. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting when you mentioned about some of the barriers, Christine. That even that we have as as practitioners, we have some barriers because we may not want to bring it up, or there's not time. And then on the flip side, you know, patients may feel stigmatized, and, and mm -hmm. so it may be hard to have that kind of discussion. And so you leave the office visit with your doctor, and you never address the issue. Mm -hmm. And so that's just that's just tough. So, um, but they, but this is why I love doing this kind of stuff and say, hey, maybe there's something that you guys are hearing out there that are listening and say, you know what, I am going to mention, I'm going to make that a priority to mention that to my doctor next time I see them or next time I see my healthcare practitioner. Uh, but we have to do better, of course, as, as practitioners ourselves. Because we want to do this together, you know, nobody, we were talking about air, uh, Dr. Gulen Polly and I about, it doesn't take, it can't, no one person can just solve everything. You have to do it together as a community. And so that's why I like having this kind of discussion and, and getting other people involved that are like-minded. So let me ask you this question, Dr. Gulen Polly. I get asked this question almost all the time by my patients. Mm -hmm. By the women in my practice, men too, but again, we're folks, focusing on the ladies out there. I get, I get asked this question all the time. So here's the question that I get asked. What is the best way to lose weight? Oh boy. <laughs> and I know you get asked that question a ton too. Yeah. What's your typical response? Because somebody might be listening right now and say like, well, maybe there is, maybe there isn't, but how do you kind of respond to that situation? You know, that's a really good question. I think that's <clears throat> initially how this whole process started for me is for about 10 plus years of my gastroenterology career. Um, we were treating all these illnesses, your diabetes and me with reflux and so on. And the general prescription was lose weight, lose weight, lose weight. And they would say, how, doc? You know, can you give me some ideas or help me out? And I'd be like, well, you can, you know, eat less, exercise more, which was the classic prescription for loss of weight for, you know, decades now. And then we also, I had, you know, a very real recognition of the fact that that hadn't been so successful in getting the right outcomes. Um, but I really didn't have an answer for them. And I think the, this is what kind of started that search to say when, when they said, you know, well, if you have something for me, I'd be happy to follow through. Um, you know, the, what I had was going to the commercial weight loss companies, Weight Watchers, you know, some sort of maybe um, program that's out there. Um, and then, you know, once I started to sort of delve into the whole nutritional um, basis of obesity or just, just the theories of what causes obesity, um, like you said, it's not so simple. It's not one illness and therefore the weight loss is also one answer. There are so many different factors that, that play a role for each patient, but if they ask me what's my most common answer, um, I say it's not in one, one place. It is a change from a diet perspective. There has to be a change in 
it's not the calories in, calories out theory anymore, which has been the focus for most of our patients. Um, when you ask a patient, actually, interestingly, what's been your biggest um, challenge in losing weight, because most of them have tried many different things, they say, well, I had an ankle injury and I can't get to the gym anymore. And they almost, a majority tend to attribute their lack of ability to lose weight to not being able to exercise, because that seems to be a high perception out there that you need to sort of expend as much energy and calories as you take in. And we have been taught that and somewhat brainwashed over the years to believe that you take in more calories, you have to expend. It's ultimately just a balance of calorie issue. So, and there's been a lot of um, research in the recent past to somewhat dispel that theory to be a little overly simplistic. And there's now more of a belief that it is a multifactorial disease, there's a neurohormonal basis to the disease. Um, and so, so there's a couple of pointers that I would say. One is to limit processed foods, refined flour, sugar. Um, maybe take the blame away from fat so much. Um, I don't want to confuse people to say low fat is not necessarily the right thing to do um, and that low carb is the right way to do, but I think the, the message that stands true to all theories is to avoid processed foods, refined flour, and sugar. Two, take care of yourself, and that includes decreasing your levels of stress, anxiety, by improving sleep. I think sleep is a very, very important factor in um, affecting your circadian rhythms, cortisol levels, and these all play a role in um, not only management of hunger, but also the obesity itself. Um, exercise as it fits, you know, and, and she can talk what fits into your lifestyle. Um, and I do think remaining active is very important. Um, but you don't have to be at the gym for an hour and a half every day, um, and you don't have to be, you know, a professional athlete, <laughs> sorry, yeah. to, to, you know, maintain your weight and, and lose weight. So there are some general nutritional principles to follow. Um, it's to focus on things like sleep. And also, you know, there's, for those patients who have already started to suffer some of the metabolic consequences and are in, this, in the higher, higher um, levels of obesity, there's now medications, um, operative, non-invasive, invasive procedures out there, uh, as long as they're under a comprehensive medical weight loss type program. Um, there's a lot more opportunities to seek help in different ways when you can't perhaps do it on your own. Um, but from general broad principles, it's changing the composition of your what you're eating. Actually, when you're eating, uh, timing of eating can make a big difference. Should we be snacking all day, or should we be going back to that two to three meals a day? Um, there's some that would benefit from modifying the way you, and the timing of when you eat. Um, behavioral modification also uh, is very important. Sleep is important. And so there's no one single answer. I think it, you have to look at each individual patient and, and try to factor in what you think their biggest um, way to achieving their goals would be. You know, one of the challenges that I see is certainly about, um, you know, we, we all know that we need to eat better. We all know that, that we need to probably do some more exercise. The hard part is the time, and I think that's really a, an important thing that I see in a lot of women and men too, but again, we're focusing here today on women. Uh, I see that challenge a bit, and so how do you, I'm going to ask this question to Christine, how do you, 
How do you make that time? I mean, we know that to make changes it requires a commitment, but how do you make that time uh, for somebody that may be not understanding how to do that, to get to sure. these nutritional and fitness goals? That's a good question. Um, so, interesting you bring that up. I have had fitness in my life forever, I feel. I was a cross-country and track runner in high school and continued to run um, till now and continue to do so. So when I had my twin boys and I was working and I said, when am I going to work out? And I thought, all right. I felt guilty if I left work and went to the gym because I wouldn't see them and they're going to bed at 7. And I said, well, when else can I do it? So I said, all right, 5 a.m. it is. And I, and I scheduled myself. I said, I'm getting up at 5 a.m. I just got to get up a little bit earlier, even if it's just 20 minutes in the morning, something to get you moving. But you really have to look at your lifestyle, your family unit, your job. Do you travel? Do you have a, a two-person household if it's just a single parent? Are your kids in grammar school? They need somebody there to watch them. Are they in high school? They can be left alone. And every phase of your life is going to be a little different. When you have a newborn, you can't leave that house maybe to go to the gym, so you may be working out at home on a DVD. But then when they get into high school, they don't even want you around. So you're thinking, all right, I'm going to the gym now. I need to get away. So My kids don't want to be <laughs> They don't. So I think looking at your family unit, where can I fit this into my life? And it could even be 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there. So guidelines for fitness, um, we want to get 150 minutes of moderate intensity exercise a week, a minimum, a minimum, with two days a week of resistance strength training. So, you know, you can break that down into little pieces, but scheduling it, putting it on your calendar, making it a priority, that is going to be necessary to remain um, successful and to get started. But support, again, I can't stress that enough, support. Because if you don't have support in your home, then you need to find support. And I tell this to my patients every day. Because they come to me oh for weight loss, and we talk about, you know, nutrition and fitness, and um, you've got to find support. I can be supportive when they're in my clinic, but they've got to have it in their lives. And so that's, I think, key ingredient number one. So if you can't get to the gym or you, you know, are struggling to get motivated, get a girlfriend, um, get a child, maybe, you know, they can ride your bike, you can walk, or vice versa, whatever the case may be. Scheduling, support, and, and some structure. So if you don't know where to start, there's a lot of great um, tools out there, and certainly the internet's full of them. But sometimes personal training is a great way to get you going. You gotta put some money in the game. You've got someone to build structure for you and for support. And then you can carry that on in your day-to-day -day, um, as you see fit. Excellent, a lot of us do need some structure, so I definitely mm -hmm. agree. One of the things that I tell people is, you know, the, the reality is when you wake up, those first few moments are yours before everything else kind of settles in. You know, we go to work, so by the time you're in your car and you're heading out to the office or wherever you're going for work, you know, you're on somebody else's time and somebody else's dollar, and that's reality. And then, of course, if you've got a family unit at home, when you come home, uh, that's there too. And so certainly we have to continue to try to prioritize. You know, we only get 24 hours a day. We all get the same 24 hours. And, you know, I, t I told my wife this story one time, and I go, I only get 40 minutes a day to work on my marriage. And she was like, what? And I go, well, let me break it down to you. So like, I drew up this grid, and I drew up, okay, my obligation time and my discretionary time, and I, I shaded it in, and I had like, okay, I got to sleep, I got to work, 
And so I got to commute and I got to eat. And those are kind of your obligations. So that was 20 hours on a typical day. So then that four hours of discretionary time that I had left, you know, you got to parent, you got to work on yourself, we got to look at health, you got to work on your relationships. So that's how I kind of, and I came him with six subcategories, so that's how I got my 40 minutes. And so it was really sad, and when I was done crying at that point, I kind of said, all right, let's see what we can do together. So in that kind of discretionary time, because we know that people are out there have a lot of obligations, but when you make the most of what you have in that downtime, whatever that time may be, and maybe it's, you're just walking, there's nothing wrong with just walking out there. And maybe you walk with your family. So you're doing parenting at the same time and walking with your spouse. So you're working on marriage at the same time. So you start have to kind of get kind of creative and start combining things, which I think is awesome. But being intentional is what you're really talking about, right. Christine. And, and that makes a difference between somebody that's going to do well with their health or somebody that may have some challenges with the structure. I totally agree with you on that one. I want to welcome to the show Tony Havela. Tony, welcome to the show. She's been here before. I'm so excited to welcome you back. Um, Tony was on my show that we did uh, a number of months ago on healthy eating, and she is the epitome of, of expertise on healthy eating. So I want to introduce her to our crew. Uh, Tony, you can find her out. At, she's a weight loss clinic dietitian at Endeavor Health Weight Management, part of Edward Elmer's Healthcare. Check her out, www.eehealth.org. Tony, welcome. We're, we're just talking about a little bit about some of the foundations that people will need for success, especially women. You know, from a nutritional standpoint, is there any kind of, you know, you see clients all the time, you see a lot of women. Is there any kind of foundations that you tell them? You know, they might say, you know, Tony, what should I be doing now? I know you got to kind of individualize it and personalize it, but are there any general rules of thumb that you follow as a, as a dietitian? think the first uh, thing that I talk about with women, it comes up over and over again, is the time they're spending on self-care. And um, they just, a lot of women have uh, raised children, they maybe have cared for grand or parents and maybe spouses, but they forget to take care of themselves. And realizing that that's a huge priority and something that needs to be attended to, so covering that topic of self-care. And once that starts, it kind of opens up a lot of topics. You know, are you sleeping? Um, that's a huge one, not getting enough sleep so they can care for other people. So just bringing up that topic, and it's really, um, it's really a self-love thing and also something you can do for your family to take care of yourself. So that's usually where we start. And, so, and then can you talk a little bit, Tony, more about, like, just what kind of a time frame do you normally, you know, you see people, mm -hmm. you see patients, you're really trying to help them out. Like, you know, and I want to I want I want to make the, stress the importance of having this multidisciplinary approach. I mean, Tony sees a ton of my patients, uh, Christine sees a ton of my patients, and Dr. Gulapali sees a ton of my patients. Um, but but there's this importance of multidisciplinary approach, and I do believe that that dietitians um, are underutilized and they should be utilized more. And I think sometimes people don't know how to make that happen. Uh, so, so you're seeing people, you follow up, but mm -hmm. how do you even start to get somebody to know that you exist? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm fortunate to work with a group of people where I'm part of the team, and uh, they're very nutrition-forward, and they make sure that um, an appointment with a dietitian is scheduled, which I so much appreciate that I'm a big part of the team there. But there's a, a lot of community dietitians out there, private practice dietitians, there's a website, uh, www.eatright.org. It's the Academy of Nutrition Dietetics website, and you can find a, a dietitian in private practice if you're not interested in going to a clinic situation. But um, 
In terms of barriers, I think that one of the barriers that I sometimes run into is uh, patients or clients are afraid of judgment and they're assuming that a dietitian might eat perfect or we're looking for perfection and we're not. We're just looking to help someone move forward. So we want to, we want to see where you're at, even if there's a lot of areas for improvement. So. I will say, every time I've had dinner with you, uh, Tony, your, your choices have been unreal. I mean, amazing. Seriously. And I actually, I feel guilty myself. Uh, I'm like, I need to order what she's ordering. Uh, so I need just to come to my house and like hang out with me all the time. Me and my wife, it'll be great. Hang out with the kids, it's all good. Make sure we're making the right choices. So let me, let me change the conversation a little bit. And again, you're listening here live on intellectualradio.com. You're watching us on facebook.com. Uh, I want to ask Dr. Gwilin probably this, this, um, this question. You know, we're talking a little bit about, about nutrition and we talked about disease. But a lot of people want to know about exercise. What's your kind of general approach when you advise your patients about just general exercise. I mean, exercise can be very intimidating, especially for someone who may not be not know what to do or new to it. How do you kind of advise your patients generally on that? Um, most of the patients that I'm encountering are focused on um, achieving a fair amount of weight loss. And so in those initial stages of weight loss, we try to sort of modify their nutrition um, more so than we incorporate as much exercise. So exercise definitely has, in my mind, more of a role in maintaining a healthy weight um, and also uh, helping your basal metabolic weight, so sustaining that healthy weight. Um, when you're trying to get to that negative weight balance, um, you know, putting in an extra half hour, hour, or strength training is going to be less effective. So I think in the game of weight loss, I look at diet and nutrition being almost 90% or more of the game and exercise being much less so. And once they've kind of achieved those initial set goals for their weight loss, then we slowly incorporate exercise and we look at it as a broad choice of things. Um, like Christine had mentioned, with the advent of all the technology that we have at our fingertips, you can go from DVDs to YouTube videos um, and do anything at home or on the run. If you travel, you can have you know pop a YouTube video um, in a hotel room, and so there's really no excuse to not have access to exercise. Um, you don't have to have a gym. You don't have to have a gym membership, and you start slow and you find things that appeal to you. Um, and you want to keep it interesting. So those are my general principles, is that if you get bored of something, don't be discouraged. There's many other ways that you can um, strengthen your body and strengthen your um, your muscular apparatus. Excellent. <laughs> so, yeah, you really talk about making it personal. It is, yeah. We try to individualize it to what makes sense to you. And I, I believe in you know, giving sort of a certain amount of time dedicated to exercise as a prescription, but what they then pursue is really going to come down to whether they enjoy doing it or not, and that they're bored, that they're not bored with it, um, and and also finding the time and the structure. And I completely agree with Christine that without that support from your whole family, and if you're not engaging the whole family, you are going to be much less successful, both in exercise and nutrition. I think when it comes to meal planning, I think that the whole family needs to be involved and should be involved. And the more you engage your children in not only consuming a meal, but also perhaps meal preparation also, um, 
you're going to do better. So you're really treating the whole family and not that individual. Excellent. Thank you. I want to ask this question to Christine, and then we're going to get into our myths versus facts. But I want to ask this kind of question. I'm going to frame it for you like this. You know, and I wrote this down so I don't miss miss that. But <laughs> millions of women in this country spend billions oh. of dollars each year on supplements to improve their health goals. What are your thoughts on supplements that promise amazing results? Too good to be true, or is there actually maybe some fact to that? Well, certainly I like Juice Plus. It's a whole food supplement, so I'm not against supplements. I think some of them do have a purpose, and I think when you're looking for a supplement, the few things you need to ask are, one, is it safe? Two, does it have science to back and support yes. what it says it does? And that can be difficult to find because most supplements on the market will say, well, we have this in it because we know this does that, but they don't really study their own supplement. So it can be deceiving. Um, then you always want to talk to your healthcare professional too before you start any supplementation because if you have some chronic disease present, some heart condition, some of these medications that are out there saying you're going to lose 10 pounds in one month are likely going to increase your heart rate. There's probably some caffeine in there of some sorts and that might not be advisable if you have something that we don't want to be doing that to. So, um, so it is a billion dollar industry and you know I think people are trying to find the magic pill and the next one comes out and let's try that but I honestly don't think it's it's not um, the foundation, it's not, um, I can't find the right word, but we need to start at the foundation of good nutrition, fitness, behavior management with sleep and stress. If we need to take a supplement here or there, whether we have a vitamin deficiency, I think that's appropriate, or a whole food deficiency because we can't consume as much as we need, I think that's appropriate. But I think it shouldn't be, let me take that pill, let me lose that weight, that's going to get me there. It's not. And, you know, maybe some people do lose a little weight, but do they sustain the weight loss? That's the question. And usually, no. Yeah, and, I don't, don't and I've seen the data where you know, yeah. people that lose weight, you know, what was it, like 80% of people may gain it back in two years and even more. Right. Uh, so I, I do have patients, and they'll talk to me about what they're taking or have, and I say, well, bring it into my office. That was the one thing I didn't mention, the label. You need to look at the label because it tells you what's in some of these things, and a lot of them are just, you know, some herbs or vitamins or whatnot and so you're spending all this money on something that we don't know if it even works if it's even safe so i always encourage them to bring in the bottles talk to your healthcare provider don't just go out and buy this because dr oz said it was a good thing <laughs> <laughs> no i like dr oz but i'm just saying um yeah all right, thank you. So what we're going to do now, we're going to we're going to get into what I call the myths versus facts section. And this is something that I, I, I unveiled on the show a long time ago, but it's really to help set the record straight. So uh, what I've done is I've gathered some statements, and I'm going to ask the panelists to kind of give us a, I'm going to, I'm going to read the statement, and then I'm going to ask the panelists to give us a, a few sentences of commentary, whether it's myth or fact, or maybe, maybe it's a little bit of both. Maybe, maybe I kind of have an ambiguous question for you guys. So maybe I'm just trying to fool you guys and stump you, but I'm not really trying to stump anybody. But we want to make sure that people have the right information. So I'm going to ask the first, I'm going to say the first statement to Dr. Gunlapali, and you will say myth or fact and tell us a bit why. So here we go. I love this one. All right. Breakfast is the meal of champions. Um, it should be filled with a healthy mix of greens, including bread, cereal, bagels, and fruit, and should not be skipped. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, <laughs> makes you think. Makes you think. Huh? Um, 
I'm going to say a myth on that one. I'm going to throw it out there. That's a myth. <laughs> um, you know, to a lot of people, whether that be routine or truly what has been sort of advertised um, through marketing and some of our um, medical societies as well, that it is a truly breakfast is a meal of the champions. And without it, um, you're setting yourself back by not giving yourself the amount of energy and calories that you need in the morning. Um, and from a truly a scientific perspective, that's a myth. Um, your body has endogenous um, cortisol and endorphins in the morning that can give you the energy that you need. And we also have additional sources of energy that your body can then use, such as gluconeogenesis, which is where glucose is produced through your liver. Um, we can use our fat stores. You're certainly not going to starve without that morning meal. Um, and if anything, there's more recent interest in timing of prolonged fast can actually improve your insulin response and can promote uh, weight loss. So I do think that breakfast is, for one, the need for the meal, I think, is a myth. And also, the big deterrent also here is that majority of our breakfast food is really desserts. If you think about what we eat for breakfast, it's cereal, um, you know, easy cook oatmeal, which is laden with sugar. Um, we have yogurts, which some choose as their healthier option, but the flavored yogurts have apparently more sugar in each serving than a bowl of um, Lucky Charms. And so a lot of the breakfast foods that we, we're often in a rush in the morning, and therefore we need something that's convenient and fast, and that means those products that have an extended shelf life, and these tend to be laden with refined flour, sugar, and carbohydrates. So when you look at the three meals of the day, breakfast happens to be the one in the Western diet that's most laden with sugar. And so um, my feeling is that breakfast is one that is not necessary. Now, some people are very hungry in the morning, and they absolutely have to have something. And for those people, I think there are some nutritious options for breakfast. But the traditional Western breakfast, I think, is one that um, can be altered and certainly not a necessity. All right, thanks. When I ask this question to Tony, here's a, it's not a question, sorry, a statement. Uh, <laughs> myth versus facts, here we go. To lose weight, you have to give up all your favorite foods. Well, that's absolutely false. Absolutely <laughs> false. Please give us a statement on that. Yeah, there's no food you truly can't have. I think it's really, to me, uh, how I talk to my clients is, is differentiating between everyday foods and treats. So an everyday food would be something that is very nutrient-dense, has a lot going for it nutritionally. It's fuel for your body. And then we have the treat category. When treats such as pizza or cookies or candy become everyday foods, that's when we have the problem. So there is no problem at all with someone have, having cake on their birthday or a special celebration. But when those foods, again, work into our everyday diet. So no food you can't have, but it's just frequency and amount. You can have a slice of birthday cake, but you know, having several slices in a day is going to be an issue. So. Excellent. Thank you. All right, here we go, Christine. Here's a statement. Um, I am at a healthy weight range based on my BMI, so I should not be at risk for any disease and should be able to eat whatever I choose. At a healthy BMI, can you have the green light um, on anything you want to okay. ever have and not I, get disease risk? I would say that is false. 
Well, that's, that's true. Well, no, you cannot eat whatever you want, regardless if your BMI is healthy. So here's a, the misconception. BMI is a number that is used to classify obesity. But is it the right number? We need to think about fat accumulation. So um, in our practice, we have a body composition we do, and we can look at body fat, lean muscle, and the BMI. And somebody may have excess fat and still have a BMI that appears to be healthy. So just because your BMI is in the normal range doesn't mean you can throw your hands up and say, I'm going to eat whatever I want. You may also be somebody who has a very fast metabolism and you burn things off. But if you're eating foods that are refined carbs or refined flour and sugar and things like that, that's going to predispose you for disease in the future. Excellent. Thank you. We're going to do one more myth versus facts. I'm going to ask this one to Dr. Gulambali. Here we go. Here's a statement. It's okay to exercise every day. What's your thoughts on that? Um, so no myth answer. or fact? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not exactly yeah, a myth or a fact. <laughs> yeah. uh, do I think there's anything wrong with that statement? No. It is okay to exercise every day. Absolutely. Um, do you have to exercise every day? Not necessarily. I think it, on, on the converse, I think if you, um, you, you actually don't want to feel like you need to do it every day and become so um, obliged to do it that it becomes a weight on your shoulders. Rather, if you have a healthier outlook, I can do this three times a week, five times a week. But the more the better, and actually every day should be an ultimate goal. Um, but it doesn't necessarily have to be achieved week by week. Excellent. I'm going to do one more because I, I, I saw one that I got on my list. I go, oh, I got to say it. I'm going to ask this one to Tony. Here you go. Here's a statement. Um, you shouldn't work out on an empty stomach. What's your thoughts on that? Well, it depends on the activity. Um, exercise does lower your blood sugar. And so for someone who has a, a more uh, sensitive blood sugar, someone with diabetes or pre-diabetic, they probably should have something to eat prior to a workout because we don't want their blood sugar going too low. All they need to have is a little bit of carbohydrate, like a piece of fruit. doesn't have to be a whole lot. Um, typically about a half hour to one hour prior to exercise is, is the right amount. Um, now, there's other people that can actually wake up and exercise and not have a problem with, with their blood sugar, so I don't see that as an issue. But with real intense cardio exercise, you're not going to do your best performance without eating something before a workout. But light weight lifting certainly could be done without a little bit of food. Excellent. So we have like five minutes left, so what I want to do, we've been having this just amazing discussion about nutrition, health, disease, fitness and just really trying to make sure that we know that the foundation is the important thing that sets you up for long-term success. So what I want to do, we do it, and I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we're doing the chief complaint about the question of the hour and what can, what are the necessary steps out there for women to be successful uh, with nutrition and fitness. At the end, when we're done seeing our patients in our practice, we call it the assessment and plan, and we kind of wrap it up and everything. So I'm going to start with Tony. Why don't you give us just maybe a few take-home points for women that are out there that are listening or guys that are listening to us that want to pass information on to their wives. Uh, but what are some tips out there, like maybe a, a couple tips out there for women to be successful, some take-home points when it comes down to nutrition and fitness foundations? So I, I just think it's really important for women to know that their nutri nutritional needs change throughout their life cycle. So sometimes um, we just go through time and we don't realize that as our body changes what we eat changes so really I think looking at coming into a nutritionist to see how to eat after menopause or after childbirth 
um, is, is a really important thing to do and almost look at it as routine health care is put that nutrition right in there with other things, going to the doctor once a year for your checkup. So um, again, I think the most actionable thing I can think, and, um, think of for women would be to really appreciate the changes in their body and how their nutritional needs change and get help and support with that. Great. Thanks, Tony. Christine, final thoughts? Ways to get successful or take-home tips uh, for listeners that are out there listening to us? I think self-care, and I know that was mentioned by Tony earlier today too, is very important. Self-care is not selfish. I tell that to my patients all the time. You need to make time for it every day. And if that means you have to say no to taking your child here, or you have to say no to that extra episode on Netflix, I need to go to bed, I need my seven hours of sleep. So self-care is imperative. Having a balance in your life is imperative. So when you're working out for fitness, have some cardio, have some strength, have some stretching, yoga. That's all necessary. And as we age as well, our bodies change, and we need these. And um, sleep and stress. So. Thank you. Dr. Gillen, probably a couple final thoughts sure. to be successful in you know, health. Um, I can't stress the, enough the importance for all women especially the younger generation between that 20 to 50 range that is responsible for, um, or at least partly responsible for uh, raising children and setting forth a role model for the next generation ahead. Because I think even as grim as current state of uh, obesity is, the future uh, stands to be more grim. Uh, childhood obesity rates are only rising um, and we as women have part, and if not some, in a lot of families, the, the majority part in um, establishing nutritional foundations for these children. And the sad facts are, as it stands, about 17 to 20 percent of kids are already obese, uh, 30 percent are overweight and obese, and if they have one parent who's obese, their lifetime chance of getting obesity is 50 percent. And if they have two parents that are obese, their lifetime chance is 80 percent. And that this coming generation is thought to be the first generation to not outlive the generation before. And so it's a, it's a statistic that we need to change. And I think it needs to start from the mothers and fathers of setting forth a strong nutritional foundation. Thank and you. Thank you, Dr. Gulabali. My final thoughts are this. You know, we're here today talking about uh, really having a foundation. We know that losing weight eating healthy can be hard. It's not impossible though. And the reality is this, when you do those things and you have success, your life will be changed for the better. Remember, I want you guys out there to make these sacrifices, make these changes. Remember, think the short-term sacrifices are here for the long-term success. We are playing the long game in life. Use resources like my panelists here. Use your doctor, use somebody. Grab your friend, grab your sister, grab your mom, grab your Tell your husband to get to support you with this. Do anything, but the chances for success are so high when you commit. And again, as you have success in your health, you're more than likely to have more success in your life. You've been listening here and watching on Facebook and intellectualradio.com. I want to thank my guests, Dr. Sushma Gulapali, double board certified in gastroenterology and obesity medicine at Suburban Gastroenterology. Check her out, www.sgihealth.com. Tony Havela, weight loss clinic dietitian at Endeavor, health weight management, check her out, www.eehealth.org, and of course, Christine Warren's Christine.
Awesome stuff, thank you. Everybody did awesome today. Family nurse practitioner at Endeavor Health, Wake Management, and of course, a wellness consultant and health coach at Juice Plus, www.kwarns.juiceplus.com. Again, you've been listening and watching live on Facebook and intellectualradio.com. This episode is written by myself, Mark D. Gomez, and my lovely wife, Tiffany E.R. Gomez. Producer is Tiffany E.R. Gomez. Music is by the wonderful Mr. Havis. Stay tuned next week as we continue our Women's Health Series. I'm so excited. It's going to be part two about focusing your mind. Check me out on my website, www.drmarkos.com. Peace out.